Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. Hey, guys. You know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. We've all felt left out. And for people who move to this country, that feeling lasts more than a moment. We can change that. Learn how at belongingbeginswithus.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Hey, hey, this is John O'Brien, entrepreneur and a fellow builder just like you. Thanks to the help of iHeartRadio and Prudential Financial, I'd like to present to you my brand new podcast. It's called Building the Good Life where each week a special friend and I will unpack and talk in detail about financial literacy, building generational wealth, building back community, building the best version of you. Make sure to listen to Building the Good Life on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Ty Montague, and I'm the host of Calling BS, the first podcast about purpose washing. In this show, we dig into the difference between what organizations say they stand for and the actions they are actually taking. Let's call BS on the businesses that deserve it and also make some concrete suggestions for cleaning that BS up. Listen to Calling BS every Wednesday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you went into the Gucci store and bought a handbag, you wouldn't ask the salesperson, is this a real Gucci? You know, you would take that as a sort of given fact. So the fact that Nodler, you know, was the oldest gallery in the city, it was 165 years old. It had worked with these artists in their lifetimes. And if you wanted to buy an abstract expressionist painting, that's kind of the place you would go to do that. By the mid-2000s, Carlos and Glafira's forgery scheme was raking in enormous profits. And yet, Glafira was miserable. Later, she told a federal judge that Carlos beat her frequently, once going so far as to break her nose. The beatings, she claimed, were to keep her from bailing out of the family art business. Quitting wasn't an option. Carlos warned that if she left he would kidnap their daughter solely and take her to Spain, and Glafira would never see her again. Ironically, Glafira's relationship with Anne Friedman was blossoming. Rosales demanded and received higher fees from Nodler as the fake paintings continued to sell for exorbitant prices. Ultimately, Glafira would rake in more than $20 million in her 14-year forgery career. With that money came a commensurate lifestyle. In 2005, Carlos and Glafira bought an enormous 6,200-square-foot house in the North Shore neighborhood of Sands Point on Long Island's Gold Coast. The Mediterranean-style home came with a $2.3 million price tag, quite a property for a local art dealer and her seemingly unemployed partner. 
friends and neighbors found the home beautiful and impressively furnished, but not without its quirks. The odd thing about it was there were paintings everywhere, and not just hung on the walls, either. One time when we went over to pick up the kids, my wife and I were in the house, and we were kind of blown away by the art that we saw in the house, because, you know, Glafira always had the appearance of being successful. My name is Brian Scarlatos. I'm an attorney with Costellanitz and Fink in New York City, and I specialize in criminal tax investigations and prosecutions. Brian was a family friend of Glafira and Carlos in Sands Point. Their children attended the same school. Later, when Glafira's legal troubles began, she retained Brian as her attorney. We knew she had a gallery in New York, but when we went into the house, you know, we recognized several pieces that, that we knew. There were Warhols, I believe there was a Picasso, there was a Rothko, and others like that. And as I said, there was also very interesting furniture, and there was just so much art that some of it was leaned up against the wall um, because there wasn't enough room to hang it all on the walls. And, I, you know, my wife and I, I think, just assumed that they were using their art as storage for their gallery. But when you go into somebody's house and you see Warhols and a Picasso and a Rothko and other things that you recognize, it's, it's sort of, you know, overwhelming. You know, it was all so casual. I remember remarking to my wife on the way out that, you know, oh my God, they have this, this little dog, Rocky, who's running around and barking. And I remember saying to my wife, what if Rocky were to pee on a Picasso? I mean, it just, <laughs> it, and it seemed like it could happen because, yeah. as I say, things were just stacked up against the wall. They were always very elegantly dressed, you know, had nice cars and a very nice house, mm -hmm. and they seemed to travel the world. And um, they also knew a lot about art. And so they were my friends who were the art dealers and had a gallery. Ann Friedman was also living the good life. Nodler was trafficking almost exclusively in the David Herbert collection of fake Rothkos, de Koonings, and Pollocks. Ann had a knack for reaching out to buyers that were exceedingly wealthy but not necessarily well-informed. Domenico and Eleanor de Sole walked into the Nodler in late 2004 in search of a Sean Scully painting. Scully was a contemporary abstract artist the de Soles were fond of. Domenico de Sole was just stepping down as president and CEO of Gucci and was becoming designer Tom Ford's partner in a new fashion company. The de Soles had an oceanfront home in Hilton Head, South Carolina, and needed art to hang on its walls. Anne didn't have a Sean Scully painting to sell them. She did, however, have an amazing Mark Rothko. As she had done so many times before, Anne enchanted her prospective buyers with the story of the X family, David Herbert, and the marvelous downtown art world of the 1950s, where artists sold works out of the back of their studios for cash. The de Soles glowed with excitement. They had never paid anywhere close to $8.4 million for a painting before, but it was a Rothko. The very name of the painting, untitled 1956, evoked images of the troubled artist in his Upper East Side carriage house working late into the night. Like so many other paintings in the David Herbert collection, the work was notably smaller than a typical Rothko. Larger ones went for tens of millions of dollars. Once again, the painting had no real provenance, nor was it in the Rothko catalog resume. But, Anne said, she had no doubt the magnificent painting they were gazing at would soar in value once it was placed in a future supplement to the catalog resume. The $8.4 million Rothko was sold and hung in the de Soles Hilton Head family home. Eleanor later testified that friends would stop by just to ooh and ah over it. But what was a Rothko compared to a top-of-the-market Pollock? Ever since Anne had hit a wall with the Levy Pollock, she had pressed Glafira for another. By 2007, she had it in hand. A classic drip painting with a silvery cast, fully deserving, Anne thought, of the $17 million price tag she attached to it. Through a pair of middleman dealers, a transparency of the painting found its way to a Belgian-born financier named Pierre Lagrange. Lagrange was a hedge fund manager, one of the richest men in London. He was drawn to the Pollock, but like Jack Levy, he wanted assurances 
that the painting was authentic. Fortunately, Lagrange wasn't asking for an official IFAR evaluation of the painting. He did want to be sure that the Pollock Krasner Foundation would authenticate the work. This was a problem for Anne. The Pollock Foundation had stopped authenticating any new works purporting to be Pollock's. As for the Pollock Catalogue Raisonné, its last and final supplement had been released in 1994. Anne had the clout to arrange a meeting with the Pollock Krasner Foundation lawyers, in part because one of the lawyers was also her lawyer. She talked up the painting and stressed the importance of updating the entire catalogue raisonné to be reprinted in full color. It was her only shot to have the painting added officially. The lawyers murmured and hummed, but the word authentication never quite entered the room. Anne had to think fast or risk losing the biggest sale of her career. On March 18, 2007, Anne wrote to Lagrange's camp and told them exactly what she thought the English collector wanted to hear. Quote, the Pollock Krasner Foundation has stated that they are intending to update and republish the catalog resume in full color and also in an online version. Every detail of the email was a lie. Lagrange and his chief lawyer, Matthew Donson, found the email less than persuasive. They wanted reps and warranties, as Donson later put it, which was to say legally binding language that the painting would be authenticated and that it would appear in the next catalog resume. Friedman turned indignant. Quote, The distrusting and demanding language in this agreement of sale is not in keeping with the familiar and widely accepted standards and practices in the art business, she huffed in her written response. It veers far from the spirit and understanding of our original agreement. I have not been confronted by anything like this in my 34 years of experience as an art dealer. Mother's Day is coming, and Mom doesn't want flowers. She wants a cocktail. Here's a hint. Get Mom Bartesian. It's the countertop cocktail maker that creates your choice of over 60 premium cocktails in less than 30 seconds, each at the touch of a button. Flowers die. Happy hour comes back every day. So get Mom the machine that makes amazing cocktails with real fruit juices and craft bitters. Best of all, get $50 off a Bartesian premium cocktail maker with the purchase of one pack of cocktail capsules. So, instead of getting mom a reason to fill a flower vase with water, get mom the easiest, fastest way to fill her glass with the floral notes of gin. The best cocktails are premium cocktails, and the best day to get it for mom is Mother's Day, because you can get $50 off now for a limited time. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash mother to get the best premium cocktail maker for mom at the best price for you. Artesian, premium cocktails on demand. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. Hey, guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. We have given you our word, our invoice is always our legal guarantee. And as previously stated, if this painting is proved not to be by the hand of Pollock, the sale would be canceled, the painting returned to Nodler, and the full purchase refunded to you, end quote. The hypocrisy of the letter was breathtaking, but Anne's huffing and puffing seemed to do the trick. On November 6, 2007, Pierre Lagrange completed his purchase of the silvery Pollock. 
the Nodler provided a written guarantee that Lagrange's Pollock was from a, quote, private collection of the heir to a collector who had obtained it directly from Jackson Pollock, end quote. The heir insisted on anonymity. With $17 million rendered, Pierre Lagrange gave his new painting a place of honor in his London penthouse, unaware that its true value was little more than the canvas it was painted on. More art fraud in a minute. Hi, this is Bill Clinton, and I hope you'll join us on Why Am I Telling You This? Now, why am I telling you this? Why am I telling you this? Now, why am I telling you this? Because it is your future on the line. Where we'll talk about ideas that are improving our world and deserve more attention. After years of being interviewed, I'm looking forward to doing the interviewing. To celebrate people's unique gifts that make life more interesting and affirm that our common humanity matters more. Please join me on Why Am I Telling You This for conversations with some of the most fascinating people I know. We'll share stories and talk about ideas that deserve more attention and why we should be hopeful and optimistic about our future. Listen to Why Am I Telling You This on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Dutton. And I'm Elizabeth Dutton. Oh, wait, sorry. Zaren, do you want to say your name? No, I'm good. Go, go ahead. We're the hosts of Ridiculous Crime. People love true crime, right? The mystery, the intrigue, the human frailty. Totally. But what a lot of us don't like is the blood and the guts and the mayhem. Wait, 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 wait. Some of us do like the mayhem. Uh, okay. But let's be real. There's nothing funny about murder. Okay, that's right. Our show gives you stories like the kidnapping of Frank Sinatra Jr. and the Max Hedrum signal hijacking. Oh, so you mean ridiculous stories like the UK cat shaver and Pablo Escobar's cocaine hippos. Yeah, stories like the dudes who stole Buzzy the animatronic whatever he was from Disney World and the woman whose husband tried to kill her but came back from the dead and surprised him at her own funeral. Yeah, that does sound good. You can find this new podcast, Ridiculous Crime, all over the place. The iHeartRadio app, the Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I don't know how you live. Ridiculous Crime. What grows in the forest? Trees? Sure. Know what else grows in the forest? Our imagination, our sense of wonder, and our family bonds grow too. Because when we disconnect from this and connect with this, we reconnect with each other. The forest is closer than you think. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Around the same time Pierre Lagrange was acquiring his seven-figure Pollock, Glyphura Rosales' success was perhaps going to her head. An opportunity for new business came up when her old friend Jaime Andrade introduced Glyphura to an ex-Nodler dealer named Julian Weissman. Rosales spoke to Weissman about potentially cutting ties with Anne Friedman. She wanted a new start, she said. As a show of good faith, she consigned three Robert Motherwell paintings to Weissman's gallery. The works were said to be from Motherwell's Elegy to the Spanish Republic series. The third painting from the series was ultimately sold by Weissman for $650,000 to Marc Blondeau, director of the Irish Kalela Gallery. Blondeau, like Lagrange, wanted authentication, and he got it. Jack Flam and Morgan Spangler, co-directors of the Motherwell Foundation, known as the Daedalus, spent hours poring over the Blondeau Motherwell. Its lack of provenance bothered them, but they felt obligated to authenticate it. The painting was just that good. Flam and Spangler spent the rest of 2007 finishing Motherwell's catalog resume. As they did, they noticed a troubling trend. More Spanish elegy paintings without provenance. There were seven in all, including the one now owned by the Kalela Gallery. To the Foundation's dismay, four of the seven paintings were being sold by the Nodler Gallery. Jack Flam insisted that all seven Spanish elegy paintings be shown together at the Nodler. 
Anne resisted as long as she could, but ultimately she caved and agreed. The Spanish elegies were spectacular, but curiously, they were all signed exactly the same way. This was strange for a painter who was known to vary his signature from picture to picture. Three of the paintings had gone from Glyphera to Weissman, indicating that Rosales had played her side game, likely to Anne Friedman's surprise. Now Anne admitted the obvious. All seven paintings had come from the same source. For the moment, she refused to say who that source was. Alarmed, the Daedalus Foundation demanded Nodler hire a widely respected forensic art expert named Jamie Martin to test two of the disputed Spanish elegy paintings. Martin also tested genuine Motherwell paintings for comparison's sake. What Jamie Martin would do is he will take a painting and he will investigate all the aspects of the painting from the frame to the paints that are used. That's Jason Hernandez, assistant district attorney to New York's 2nd District. In the course of his criminal investigation, Jason gleaned a wealth of knowledge about the forensic testing process. He'll take an incredibly small slice of... Mom met a lot of your demands over the years. This Mother's Day, get her the Bartesian cocktail maker that makes premium cocktails on demand. In just 30 seconds, have your choice of over 60 premium or seasonal cocktails, all at the touch of a button. Get $50 off on the Bartesian cocktail maker now when you buy one pack of cocktail capsules. So, for all the times you made a mess, get mom the countertop cocktail system that makes premium cocktails without making any mess at all. For all the times you begged for soda, get her premium cocktail capsules made with real fruit juice and craft bitters. For all the times you demanded tacos for dinner, get her the Bartesian that mixes margaritas in just 30 seconds. Make mom's Mother's Day and all the 364 days that aren't Mother's Day with a Bartesian cocktail maker at $50 off. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash mother now to get $50 off the Bartesian premium cocktail maker. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. With their flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. Hey, guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. The paint, he'll investigate the dust that's in the crevices and the cracks of the paint, and he will determine, you know, what the composition of those materials are. He will look for what he calls anomalies, meaning things that shouldn't be there. And I'll give you a very, very simple example. I think it was the DuPont Corporation at some point patented titanium dioxide, which really makes whites really white. It was patented sometime in, I don't know, the 70s, I'm going to call it. But what that means is that if I present to you a Pollock painting and it has titanium dioxide in it, we have a problem because Jackson Pollock was dead before titanium dioxide was discovered and patented. Jamie Martin's report was devastating. He found that a red pigment in one of these Spanish elegies hadn't existed until years after the paintings were said to be made. All seven of the Spanish elegies were immediately scrapped from the upcoming Motherwell catalog resume. The Kalela Gallery sued the Daedalus, the Daedalus sued Weissman the dealer. In the end, all parties settled with money changing hands, and the Kalela's painting branded on its verso as a forgery. 
One day, while Jamie Martin was studying the Spanish elegies, Jack Flam had a memorable talk with Anne Friedman. She said, I don't want to get Michael Hammer involved in this. He's very litigious, Flam later recalled. Despite her wish to keep the Spanish elegy debacle off her boss's desk, Friedman and Hammer had forged an alliance right from the start. As a lawsuit would later allege, Anne had kept her boss in the loop on the sales of Rosales' paintings from the beginning. She sent Hammer short write-ups of every new painting that came in. The write-ups detailed how much the gallery paid Glafira for each picture, wholesale, and how much Nodler had sold them for retail to its customers. And yet, years later, Anne felt afraid of Michael Hammer, enough to worry he might sue her. It seemed as if each partner still kept some secrets from the other. From the start, Nodler's owner Michael Hammer had kept all but invisible in his spacious office at the gallery. Staffers rarely saw him, and when they did, it was hard not to be distracted by his artificial tan and a wardrobe that could charitably be described as extravagant. Hammer's roughly two dozen vintage cars, some worth hundreds of thousands of dollars, only underscored the sense that here was a man of almost unimaginable wealth, free to do as he wished. By the fall of 2009, news of the fake Spanish elegy paintings had reached the prosecutor's office in the second district of New York. Investigators were now sifting through Anne Friedman's 17 years as head of the Nodler Gallery. Any hopes Anne had of keeping Michael Hammer out of the loop were dashed. Seeing law enforcement walk through the doors had jolted Hammer to his core. That October, he terminated Anne Friedman's employment from the Nodler Gallery. Her feet barely touched the floor as security guards swept her through the gallery and out the front doors under the royal blue awning. Anne was finished. We'll be back after this. Adoption of teens from foster care is a topic not enough people know about, and we're here to change that. I'm April Dinwiddie, host of the new podcast, Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Each episode brings you compelling real-life adoption stories told by the families that live them with commentary from experts. Visit adoptuskids.org slash podcast or subscribe to Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Administration for Children and Families and the Ad Council. If you love true crime podcasts, you need to check out True Crime Obsessed. Each week, hosts Patrick and Jillian recap a true crime documentary everyone is talking about, and they do it with humor, heart, and just the right amount of sass. When you go camping, you either find the skull or you become the skull. That's the rule. Patrick and Jillian have covered everything from the Ted Bundy tapes to Lula Rich with plenty of art heists in between. With over 100 million downloads and 30,000 five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts, True Crime Obsessed is one of the most popular true crime podcasts in the world. Find True Crime Obsessed wherever you listen. From Cavalry Audio, the studio that brought you The Devil Within, and the Shadow Girls comes a new true crime podcast, The Pink Moon Murders. The local sheriff believes there may be more than one killer. It's been four days since those bodies were found, and there's no arrest as of this morning. They were afraid, especially out in that area. What if they come back or whatever? It scared me to death. Like, it scared me. It, I was very, very intimidated to live here. Crazy to think you go to sleep one night, maybe snuggling with your loved one, and never wake up. Or maybe you wake up in a struggle for your life which you lose. Join host David Ratterman as he explores one fateful night when evil descended upon small-town Ohio. Killed eight members of an Ohio family in a pre-planned execution. A family was targeted, most of them targeted while they were sleeping. Follow the Pink Moon Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back in London, Pierre Lagrange was having trouble of his own. Just two years after buying his $17 million Pollock, he was embarking on a divorce. He was advised to sell his recently acquired Pollock and split the proceeds with his soon-to-be ex-wife. Lagrange was shocked to discover 
that neither Sotheby's nor Christie's would accept the work. After all, the Pollock had no provenance and had surfaced only a few years before. David Anfam, one of the world's most respected authorities on modern American art, was just as skeptical when he personally viewed the painting in Pierre Lagrange's London home. It was the 9th of April 2008 when I paid a visit there. And uh, I saw the whole collection, but then suddenly we got to the Pollock. Pierre looked at me, I looked at Pierre's advisor, and I think they said, what do you think? And I, I recall very clearly saying, well, that has a history. And I, they were hoping for some more words, but I never said them. The rest was silence. They were hoping that you would say the painting was right. Yes. That's exactly what I did not say. Lagrange had the distinct feeling he was being toyed with, and he was angry. Where was Anne Friedman anyway? News of her firing hadn't yet made its way to Lagrange. The Nodler was playing a vanishing game of its own. The gallery flat-out refused to take back Lagrange's Pollock, nor would it refund his $17 million. After all, the gallery insisted, the painting was genuine. Lagrange was seeing red. He wanted his money. And surfaced in November 2010 with an email meant to lower the temperature. Once again, she insisted politely but firmly that Lagrange's Pollock was one of several newly discovered works that would be added to a revised Pollock catalog resume. Anne's timing couldn't have been worse. Just one month after her attempt to band-aid the Lagrange situation with yet another lie, Jackson Pollock expert Eugene Thaw shocked the art world with a declaration of seismic proportions. Thaw declared that Lagrange's silvery Pollock looked not right to him. Thaw was in poor health, and he wanted to be sure his judgment was made clear. So in early 2011, he repeated his claim in a videotaped affidavit. The painting looked fake to him, Thaw said. Anne's email was immediately and entirely invalidated. It was now February 2011. Pierre Lagrange still had no interest in meeting Anne Friedman, but word was that a grand jury was convening to consider charges stemming from the fake Spanish elegies, and Anne was said to be a subject of interest. Lagrange decided he would meet with her after all. Anne suggested the lounge of the Carlisle Hotel with its serpentine rooms of overstuffed chairs. Anne arrived early to the Carlisle on a wintry day and chose a small table in a cozy, low-lit corner. She recognized Lagrange from his long gray hair and angular face as soon as he walked in. Anne stood up to greet him and his attorney, Matthew Donson. Pierre Lagrange, I'm Anne Friedman. It's nice to meet you, she said. Don't be so sure, Lagrange seethed in his Belgian accent. Lagrange ordered a cocktail, the lawyer a Coke. I've been looking forward to meeting you and discussing the painting, Anne said cheerfully. Let's talk about how I can be helpful. I want my money, Lagrange said, his voice rising with each word. That's all. Anne tried to stay calm. She leaned forward a bit. It's hard to predict the market, she noted. She said they might have to wait a while before selling the painting, but she and Lagrange would be able to help each other out of this fix, Anne said assuredly. That was when Lagrange lashed out. Quote, he started screaming at the top of his lungs. I'm going to set you on fire. Do you understand that? I'm going to set you on fire and you will have no life. It will be over, and it will hit the press, and you will be done. Anne tried to reason with the Belgian financier in a calm voice, as if talking to an unruly child. Taking the painting back simply wasn't an option, she said. All the experts agreed it was real, and so did she, Anne said. She offered to take the painting on consignment and try to sell it to someone else. Lagrange was astounded. Anne's solution was to find some other sap to unload the painting on? Not only was that wildly irresponsible, but surely 
illegal as well. The two of them would be selling a painting Lagrange now believed was a fake. If Nodler didn't immediately return his money and take back the painting, Lagrange railed, he would destroy her reputation. He was furious. Lagrange and Donson stood up. The meeting was clearly over. Everyone by now at the Carlisle was staring. This was a real scene, Anne recounted. The waiter came over and asked if she was all right. Later, Lagrange would deny Anne's account of the meeting. He hadn't raised his voice, he said. The calamity at the Carlisle merely confirmed Lagrange's worst fears. He was sure his Pollock was a fake. And Friedman, persona non grata at the Nodler, could do nothing to get him his money back. Lagrange's only move was to squeeze the reclusive Michael Hammer, Nodler's chairman, in whatever way he could to recover his $17 million. Lagrange had no idea how utterly dependent the gallery was on the sales of Glafira Rosales's paintings. He did note with interest that Hammer had put one of the gallery's two adjoining mansions up for sale. For more than a year, the 17,000-square-foot Italian Renaissance building at 19 East 70th Street had been quietly shopped around town for $59.9 million. That was a high price in a bear market. It remained for sale until February 2011, when it sold for $31 million, half its original asking price. As it turned out, the sale came shortly before the disastrous Carlisle Hotel meeting. Lagrange knew exactly where 17 million of the mansion's proceeds should go, but Nodler had no interest in giving any of that money back to the London hedge funder. The standoff with Lagrange remained a secret through much of 2011, as lawyers attempted to resolve the situation. Then, in October, came news of the Motherwell Spanish Elegy settlement. Hi, I'm Patricia Cohen, and I'm a reporter for The New York Times. Patricia's first scoop about the Nodler saga was dated October 11th, 2011. I had no idea at that point that that story was going to kind of explode into one of the biggest art frauds of the last hundred years. I just started digging around, and even though that story was relatively short, I quickly realized that there was a much bigger story buried beneath this with with a lot more questions that came up, and, and then I started digging. Cohen's story in The Times prompted Lagrange to do something he should have done far earlier. He called Jamie Martin, the forensic expert who had analyzed the Motherwells, and requested a test on the Pollock no auction house would touch. The tests confirmed Lagrange's worst fears. Various pigments in the painting had not existed in 1949 when the painting was supposedly made. It was forensically impossible for the work to be legitimate. The report Lagrange received in late November of 2011 brought full-throated legal action. In a searing letter to Michael Hammer, Lagrange demanded that Nodler refund his $17 million in 48 hours or face a lawsuit. The letter would ultimately be the last straw for Michael Hammer. To Lagrange's astonishment, Hammer responded by closing the Nodler's brass doors permanently on November 30th, 2011, 165 years after it first opened for business. Glafira wasn't actually named, but New York Times readers learned the name of Anne Friedman and learned, too, that she had been accused of selling fake Motherwells while she was president of Nodler. Was there a sense of starting to connect the dots, sort of? I remember that day very well because it was a big scandal. There was an FBI investigation. We were talking about, you know, many paintings and many millions of dollars, and I knew about the Pierre Lagrange lawsuit. And so I had basically been planning within the next week to have this, you know, big expose about this. And then when the gallery closed, it was like, oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) 
we have to cover this, but, yeah. you know, we've got this really other big story, but I can't get into all of that yet because not every single piece had turned down. So essentially, I covered that as a news story, um, giving enough detail that we knew something was going on, but also not essentially wanting to kind of expose what we knew was going to be part of this really big takedown. Incredibly, just two days before Nodler closed its doors and two years since she'd been fired, Anne placed a very strange phone call to noted Clifford Still expert David Anfam, the same expert who had viewed Pierre Lagrange's fake Pollock in London. Anne telephoned me on the 28th of November, 2011. The game was up by then. Basically, we knew that it was all a hoax, that these were fakes. In a truly baffling move, Anne was lobbying Anfam to have the burned fragment of a fake Clifford Still painting added officially to the Clifford Still Museum. This was the very same painting Carlos Bergantinos had burned with a hairdryer and told Glafira to say had caught fire in a car. I was absolutely astonished that Anne wanted me to write some kind of a letter about the Clifford Still Museum accepting this fragment of a painting. And I told Anne, point blank, it's not up to me to do it. It's up, if anyone's going to do it, it would have to be approved by the director, by the board and so forth. So it was to me um, a phone call that left me speechless. Even at the time when I wrote it, I put three exclamation marks after that note because it was extraordinary. On the morning of December 2nd, 2011, a high-pitched scream could be heard from the bedroom of a hotel suite in Miami, Florida. The annual Art Basel Fair was about to begin, and Domenico and Eleanor de Sole had arrived early to get premium tickets. Eleanor was scrolling through the New York Times on her iPad when a story jumped out. Domenico rushed from the shower to see what was wrong. Too shocked to speak, Eleanor handed him the iPad, her hands shaking. Patricia Cohen's first story in the New York Times had mentioned the Nodler and publicly identified Glafira Rosales for the first time. But it was a short piece and the Desoles may not have noticed it. That morning's follow-up about Pierre Lagrange and his fake Pollock made the news all too clear. One of the Desoles' first calls that morning was to Anne Friedman. Anne swore to the Desoles that the Lagrange Pollock described in the New York Times was real. So were the rest of the works in the David Herbert collection, including the Desoles Rothko. The Desoles demanded evidence who was this mysterious Mr. X Jr. through whom all these paintings had flowed? Who was Glafir Rosales, for that matter? Anne promised she would soon be learning the identity of the mysterious collector herself. The Desoles were incredulous. Anne had previously told them she did know the collector. As one of the Desoles lawyers later put it, the most basic tenet of authenticity for the Rothko was a lie. Neither Anne Friedman nor the Nodler Gallery knew the true identity of their supposed client. Among the dozen or so victims who began peppering the now-defunct Nodler Gallery with legal demands for their money back was Frances Beatty. To her shock and horror, Frances discovered that a Clifford Still painting she had purchased from Anne in 2000 was likely just another fake from the supposed David Herbert collection. Beatty had loved Clifford Steele's paintings from her earliest days. They're incredibly exciting. They look like sort of lightning or jagged cliffs in an abstract way. They have enormous electricity, and sometimes the, the colors are very, I would say, dense, intense, and they have a tremendous sense of movement. Very dynamic. Finding them was a challenge. Clifford Stills are rare. You don't know where in the 
current universe, there's going to be a Clifford Still for sale and one that someone might let you get your hands on. I mean, they're not sitting there in people's inventory. I had a colleague who came in and said to me, could you sell a great Clifford Still, a great early Still? And I said, you bet you I can. And he said, I know where there is one. There's a beauty, and Anne Friedman has it. Frances rushed over to the Nodler. She was stunned. The painting was perfect. The jagged mountains, the colors, the perfect size. I had sold two pictures of this period. So over a period, uh, it took me, you know, 15 years to find the first one, 20 years to find the second one. But, of course, (laughs) it had no provenance. Oh, I remember very specifically, because I said this has no provenance, and it hasn't been exhibited anywhere. And so Anne wrote me an email saying that it belonged to a Mexican who had gotten it directly from Clifford Still and had been in the same family Mm. that entire time. To close the deal, Anne made an unusual promise to Frances. If we did the deal, she would reveal the provenance Uh to me. I showed it to a wonderful restorer, very good friend of mine, Alan Goldrack, who had been the restorer who had unwrapped all the Clifford Stills for the Metropolitan Museum's retrospective. Francis also showed the painting to David Anfam, as much the Clifford Still expert as the ultimate connoisseur for Pollock and Rothko. He had liked the picture very much. Despite the positive affirmations from experts, Francis remained wary. So I said to Anne, I need a Nodler guarantee. And you have to guarantee the authenticity of this picture with Nodler behind it. So if the authenticity is questioned, you return the money to the client. And what did she say to that? Fine. Mm. And I got her to write a guarantee of authenticity on the Clifford Still, and I gave a copy of it to the client. And at that point, I thought, you know what? We're safe. If the worst thing possibly happens and something goes wrong, it is a Nodler guarantee. And Nodler is the last place in the world that would renege on any kind of guarantee. With that, Beatty and two fellow dealers put their money down, about $1 million. They sold it for $1.1 million to the collector who had pushed for the still in the first place. An entire decade passed. No issues with the painting popped up. Curiously, however, Anne failed to keep her side of the bargain with Francis. She didn't tell me who she got the picture from. I probably should have pressed her on that, but I didn't because I think once I had obtained this Nodler guarantee in writing, I thought that I had sort of an impregnable defense. So fast forward to 2011. Pierre Lagrange shouts it from the rooftops that he's paid $17 million for a fake Pollock. What was your reaction to that news? I'm not sure I want to say it on air. I mean, holy moly. (laughs) Um, We were absolutely stunned. We went and did the forensic testing. I think it had some kind of white in it that hadn't been invented back then. And also the, the pigments were of more recent vintage. Right. God. So at that point, obviously, you had to call your customer who who bought the painting. Right. We said, we're going to give you back your money. Yeah. And sue. And I think we um, 
We sent him a check for $1,100,000, but he said to us that he thought the picture was now worth $3 million and he was going to sue us for that much money. I mean, the suit must have cost $350,000. And then we finally settled. Wait, you settled with Nodler? Nodler. Which, of course, by now was almost like a dead man walking, right? Right. I mean, it had closed down right. officially. So you were you were negotiating with a company that didn't even right. exist? Right. We were in the same boat as everybody else. I sure. mean, little by little, lots of people were settling to get something. So we were out the million dollars. We were out the cost of the litigation, a million four. So maybe it was more like a million plus. Well, that must have haunted you for a long time. It was a terrible thing for the profession. I'm the secretary of the Art Dealers Association of America, and I'm an art historian, and I love the art dealing Mm. profession. It's full of wonderful, devoted experts and people who love art. And this was just a devastating blow. So it was on everybody's lips, and Mm. it made you feel like you've gone from decades and decades devoted to doing the right thing, and suddenly you were all like in cahoots with Al Capone. Yeah, yeah. It was hugely distressing. What happened to the painting, by the way? It's funny because we got the painting back. Yeah. And it was in our basement. And I really wanted to take it out, take it to, you know, the Clifford Still Museum and you know, stand it up and look at other pictures of that vintage and figure out how, why I'd, how I'd made this mistake. There's no question that it was a fake, but it was so damn good. It was in the storage of Richard Feigen and company. And when we closed, when Richard left that building, I don't know where it is. And I kind of have a mental note of trying to track it down and find out where it is. By March 2012, the DeSoles had a team of lawyers harnessed up. Domenico DeSole was a gentle family man, but being conned out of $8.4 million set a fire raging in his Italian soul. He wasn't just set on getting his money back, he wanted triple damages a so-called RICO penalty for what amounted to a conspiracy among all of the defendants. A trio of top art fraud lawyers began inundating the Nodler with demands for documents. The number of artists, the number of unknown works, the cheap prices Nodler got them for, the incredible markups they sold them for, that's in the papers we got in the first few months. Those Mm -hmm. are just invoices from the Nodler gallery. I spoke with the DeSole's attorneys, Aaron Kroll, Emily Reisbaum, and Gregory Clarick at their law offices. So we had discovery from them, you know, relatively early on with those documents. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's a big part of the case right from the beginning. Right, and also early on, before Jamie Martin had had the opportunity to examine a number of different works, like he had looked at Pierre Lagrange's work, I think, he had looked at ours, We were telling the judge, this is like you go to Canal Street and there's a table. You don't have to, one watch is fake, they're all fake. You don't have to test them all to know that they're all fake. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, Jamie proved that it was the same paint for the Pollock, for the Rothko, you know, that spread 10 years apart. Over the course of the two years between when we filed the case and Mm -hmm. her pleading guilty, over the course of that time, Jamie Martin ultimately had access to 18 works out of the 41 on the Nodler list, and he proved every single one was a fake. What emerged was what we showed at trial with the witness testimony that there were no experts who authenticated these paintings for Nodler. It just didn't happen. The lawyers came up with six red flags, clear indicators of a criminal enterprise. The one that seems to interest people the most is the profits. And, you know, our expert testified 
that ordinarily in the secondary market, the dealer will make 20 to 30% of a profit. So they buy for $100, they sell for $130, they get to pocket $30, 30%. Nother was making hundreds, from the very beginning, making hundreds of percent profits. And as the scheme went on, it multiplied to 600, 700, 800%. Now, instead of just a little demon corn on paper, you had a Pollock. So, $17 million. Well, you had a bunch of them. Right, you had a bunch of them. And so, you know, and the, the profits were alone a signal. And I think this is, that hit the jurors the most that the profits were a signal that like something was wrong here. But the number of works was wildly off the charts. By early 2013, the lawyers for the DeSoles had done enough discovery to feel they had a rock solid case. Jason Hernandez wasn't so sure. An assistant district attorney specializing in fraud cases in New York City's second district Hernandez had come to be wary of fraud cases built on the testimony of experts. That was testimony the defense could easily counter with experts of their own. After all, who was to say which expert would be right? Hernandez knew the case would be an enormous challenge. There were an unusually large number of prominent people who seemingly were going to stand by the paintings and say that they were real. That is uncommon. And I could see right away, well, you know, how do you get over that? Because if the person selling them is showing them to all of these esteemed people and they're saying, yep, looks right to me, looks good to me, that's not a criminal case anymore. Despite the mountain of lawsuits, only one case would go to trial. Eleanor and Domenico de Sole versus the defendants, Ann Friedman, Glafira Rosales, Carlos Bergantinos, Michael Hammer, and the Nodler Gallery. That's next time on Art Fraud. Why look so awfully tragic? Put on a happy face. Smiling can work like magic. Put on a happy face. Take off the gloomy mask of tragedy. It's not your style. You look so good that you'll be glad you decided to smile. Art Fraud is brought to you by iHeartRadio and Cavalry Audio. Our executive producers are Matt Del Piano, Keegan Rosenberger, Andy Turner, myself, and Michael Schneerson. We're produced by Brandon Morgan and Zach McNeese. Zach also edited and mixed this episode. Lindsay Hoffman is our managing producer. Our writer is Michael Schneerson. Hey, Elizabeth, you're the co-host of that new podcast, Ridiculous Crime. Why, yes, I am. You know what's ridiculous? Yeah, carpeting in kitchens and bathrooms. Oh, wow, you are good. But you know what's also ridiculous? A 16-year-old who breaks into a car dealership and steals Guy Fieri's Lamborghini. What? Yes, to impress a girl. I'll tell you all about it on Ridiculous Crime, our podcast about absurd and outrageous capers, heist and cons. It's always 99% murder-free. And 100% ridiculous. Listen to Ridiculous Crime on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hola, amigos. It's me, Carolina Bermudez, with my friend Honey German, and we're excited to announce season three of our podcast, Life in Spanglish. We are the hermanas you wish you had talking to you about all life has to offer with topics like dating, sex, relationship, life, y la cultura latina. Expect us to give you only the real advice you wish your abuelita would give you without the chancla. Listen to Life in Spanglish every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From Cavalry Audio, the studio that brought you The Devil Within and The Shadow Girls, comes a new true crime podcast, The Pink Moon Murders. The local sheriff believes there may be more than one killer. They were afraid to face it out in that area. A family was targeted, most of them targeted while they were sleeping. Who could commit such horrible crimes and why? Follow The Pink Moon Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to take charge of your health journey? Look no further than Trinity School of Natural Health. 
With our flexible online programs, you can receive the comprehensive education you need to care for your loved ones or step into the thriving field of natural health. Why choose Trinity? Because their programs offer more than just coursework. You'll interact with experienced instructors, connect with like-minded peers, and even participate in optional live events to hone your skills. If you've ever thought about becoming a certified natural health professional, the CNHP program at Trinity School of Natural Health is the perfect certification course. You'll equip yourself with the knowledge and skills to make a real difference in the lives of others. Turn your passion for natural health into a rewarding career. Visit trinityschool.org today to learn more about the Certified Natural Health Professional Certification Program. Go to trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Trinity School of Natural Health. Transform your life. Transform the world. Hey, guys. You know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.